You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years or of. It's coming. First, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card, and you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. And now, Emeritus Rex. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yahushua Pupko of Cote St. Luke's greatest synagogue, Beth Israel Beth Aaron. Rabbi Pupko, a lot of stuff on the table today in this week leading into presidents. Uh Nikki Haley uh, says that she uh, she issues her official video. Did you see it? Yes. She's running for president. She's yes. running for president, yes. Yes. Again, she you, she's not exactly um Meryl Streep as an actress. I mean she is she is somewhat wooden in that video. But... Okay, yeah. Listen, Nikki Haley is it governor of uh, South Carolina? South Carolina, yeah. Uh of Indian descent. Um uh she has a great personal story to tell about the promise of America and everything else. The chief executive in South Carolina has limited powers. The legislature is really runs the run, run, rule the day there. However, she was the UN ambassador for under Trump. Uh, she was uh, great for Israel, pro the pro Israel community. They love her. She speaks to, she's been at every Jewish dinner has a guest speaker that you could imagine the last couple of years. She is widely loved in the pro Israel community and rightfully so. The question is, does she have any chance of of winning a Republican nomination? There are those who speculate she's put her name forward as a candidate simply to pick up the vice president's job. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I think the real question is, uh, if you if you, if you're upset that you know Biden is is a Democrat and a liberal and you want a Republican president, the first question you should be asking yourself is who's the best candidate in policy and an outlook and who has the best chance of winning against a Democratic nominee, most likely Joe Biden. Right now, according to many pollsters, the only Republican that Biden could beat is Trump. I, but as a media person, and also as a, a you know being sensitive to reactions to media, I just want to say one thing about the Haley video. First of all, uh, when she references the socialist left, there are four faces that show up on the video. And I stopped the video to see who they were. Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and uh, Nancy Pelosi. 
Oh yeah. So 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 again, you know, I, I don't know if she needed to call them socialist leftists, right? <laughs> right. But but you know, it was, it was but, a populist wing of the Republican Party that is highly committed to Trump, and she's trying to appeal to. I, I understand. The and I, right. Right. One one other little point that uh, was brought out in I think in one of the Israeli newspapers that there's a fleeting. Uh, you can catch Danny Danone. Uh, and where it's towards the end of the video, where she is, you, you see her in her seat uh, as the United Nations uh, representative. And I think the, the Israeli Danny Danone is sitting next to her. So right. people thought that was specifically uh, tailored in order to telegraph her connection to uh, the Israelis and to the Jews. Again, it's so quick. I'll just say one thing about her tagline, which yeah, I, I love it. And I'll tell you why I love it. She says, you know, I don't like bullies. And uh, and, and if they push, I'm going to kick, we're going to kick back. And it always hurts more when you kick back with heels, which, you know, which, which is really embracing the fact that she's a woman who wears heels and she's not in this post uh, you know, society where we don't know what a man is, what a woman is. She's she's a woman. And when I kick back, I kick back in heels. I, I thought that was the best line which she saved for last. But I, I again, I don't know. All I can tell you is, and before you, 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 we get to the next point, I found out about this video, not from the video itself, but from the left's condemnation, ridiculing the video. Stephen Colbert, who, again, he really started off as a great uh, improv comic he was really wild and, and, and Monty Python-like and really funny, but he seems to have been turned himself into just a, uh, a, a, critic, a critic completely of anything that comes out from the Republican side. And, you know, it's, it's, if he, he just wants to hit the low-hanging fruit. And he was saying how he was underwhelmed by this video and how he didn't like it. Um, so I had to search till I found it, and I found it. And, and you're right. Uh, I'm going to get to your point and say, it is a very, it's an incredible story. And I think another thing about the video I'll say is that she lets her drawl hang out, if you know what I mean. Um, if you listen to it, I'm a Southerner, so I know what it's like to suppress a, a drawl. When we, when I, when I go down to Memphis, I start talking like this, like when I have to, I know weren't what you I actually, have. Weren't you a child actor in the Dukes of Hazard? <laughs> Yes, I, I directed a number of episodes. So I, so once I was directing them, I asked him, you know, to put me in a cameo. Yes, um, he was incredible. The, king. the point is, is that I know how to, uh, to to when to use the drawl and when to not. Haley used enough of that drawl of who she is, uh, a South Carolinian of Indian descent, I think, to to push all the right buttons. I'm Miss Powell. I'll tell you, I think she's a great candidate, despite the fact that she has to go a little jingoistic. I know what you're saying. We got to get Trump off of the stage. Um, and 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 as you said, he 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 doesn't get more pliable with age. We know yeah, but that. Listen, the real quandary that Republicans have is that everyone knows how Trump got elected and nominated, I should say, the first time in 2016, because he faced a, a, a very large field. I think at one time there were 19 people running for the Republican right, nomination. Right. And the debate stage was packed with people and everyone from Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz, everybody was running. And the the mainstream Republican Party splintered amongst those alternative candidates and Trump snuck in. Not only that, 
everyone was using kids' gloves with Trump because they didn't want to alienate his supporters, and they were convinced he'd lose. Everybody was convinced he was wasn't going to get the nomination. He was convinced he wouldn't get the nomination. But uh, you know, it was uh, in, in, I don't want to use the word fluke, but it was a divided field, and he exploited that. Now the question is how not to replicate the same mistake. Here's here's what. You know, as a we're both rabbis, so I'm hoping the Jewish factor can somehow kick in. Ivanka and Jared talk with Dad and say, "Look, you don't want to go bound as another loser. If you lose again, again, your your rep is completely sealed uh, as as a divider, uh, and maybe they have a chance. I mean, I, I he has not." Uh, he has not trashed Jared since he left office, right? He has not gone out and said. Well, he said one minor. Yeah, he did uh, something, you know, in a semi-critical way. But yeah, you're right. He hasn't bashed him. Right. So not the way he trashed Pence and everybody no. else, right? So Jared and Ivanka, I think, and again, this is sort of a fantasy. But if they can somehow get to him and well, say, what I understand from in, from, and I have people, I know people close to them, is they have really distanced themselves. But but maybe maybe Ivanka, for the sake of a better America, can yeah. talk to her dad and say, "Look, Dad, you'll still be a power if, broker." If Trump doesn't run, it'll be because of legal reasons. Whether it's the investigation of his meddling in Georgia, whether it's the investigation of some fraud in New York State, or uh, I think there's another case. Anyway, it'll be a legal issue. It'll it'll be a legal issue that'll stop him. Uh, you know, in other words, what I mean by a legal issue. I don't necessarily mean that he'll be indicted and then forced not to run, whatever. It, it could be that, you know, he'll end up with a plea bargain that says I absent myself from politics and don't pursue an indictment. You know, th- th- it could be something like that will happen. Other than that, he is committed heart and soul to run. Remember, he didn't lose once. He's lost three times. Sure. What I mean by that is he lost the midterms when he was president. He lost his own election for president and in 2020 and then, and then uh these last midterms when his endorsed uh candidates the trumpian candidates who are all you know were, were, were roundly defeated so he has three you know and, and the republicans didn't do as well as they should have there was no red wave in the midterms and uh and that unrealized expectation is is, is trump's fault right just a one once again, to just beat this uh, Haley video, she mentions in the video, Republicans have lost seven of the last eight popular vote elections. So even his win in 2016 was not a win totally for America, although he I had enough electoral votes in order to assume the presidency. I think that's what she was trying to tap into. And uh, look, I think, her, I, I'll put it this way, I, I know why everybody's piling on Haley because she really has, in a way, an impeccable resume, and she could no, be she really does, a great again, candidate. Some other candidates, and obviously Ron DeSantis, is right now the leading non-Trump candidate. Right. But there are other people there. There's the governor from uh, uh, Virginia. There's the governor. Uh, you know, he's done it young. He's, he's doing a great job. He's very popular. There's a guy, an African-American senator from South Carolina. Sure, Tim Scott. Tim, Tim Scott, who is, who looks very good. But again, you know, we can all talk about, you know, who would make a wonderful president, a great candidate. The key issue right now for the Republican Party should be how do we how do we have a field that looks attractive, 
but a field that's not too large to allow Trump to repeat his victory. Understood. One of the things that, um, uh, you know, for us as Jews uh, is the fact that we have somebody who was part of government, who was an ardent supporter of Israel. I think what we're seeing today, segueing into our next topic, is many uh, members of Congress uh, and the Secretary of State, who was uh, it was part of the executive branch, part of the right, is speaking out in many many uh, fashion against what's happening in Israel and Eretz Israel uh, about the internal politics and about what things are happening. I think in a way that I have not heard in a long time, Rabbi. Uh, so many voices, and 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 and, and, and it's always point by point. Yes. Okay. Biden and Blinken, when asked and pressed on Israel's uh, internal politics, specifically the reform to the Supreme Court, they have spoken in moderate terms. They've spoken in positive terms about, you know, the the shared liberal democracy and this stuff. They haven't been pointed or direct on that criticism, although they have criticized, implicitly criticized it. I believe, as I've told you before, and you always heap scorn and ridicule upon me when I do it, is that the key issue is the settlements. What I mean by that is, if Israel legalizes illegal settlements, what I mean by illegal settlements is not by international law, but by Israeli law, right? Illegal settlements, if they go ahead and do that, the Americans and the Europeans issued a statement, joint statement yesterday. It's now been taken to the Security Council, and there's going to be a resolution against Israel. I believe, but I'm not certain, that the Americans will veto it for being imbalanced, like the Americans generally do, except that one egregious and horrible moment when, uh, before, you know, after Obama, uh, you know, it was before, uh, you know, in, in the weeks before he left office, where he let the uh, resolution go forward. Uh, condemning Israel, which was unprecedented. It hasn't been repeated. But the question is, what will happen now? I believe it'll be veto, but who knows? And and, and if there's going to be a crisis in American-Israeli relations and open criticism of Israel from the president, secretary of state, and many people in the Senate and the House, especially the House, it'll be around settlements, not about the Supreme Court. It's in a room with Smotrich and Ben Gavir. They're in a death hold against each other. What I mean by that is, under a normal situation, Bibi can say, you've gone too far, right? What, you know, Ben Gavir's statements in the aftermath of that horrible attack in remote and the earlier one uh, in the Yaakov, how he wants to crack down and collective punishment and and, and raising houses and, and all of this, uh, you know, that Bibi generally wouldn't want to do. Uh, ben Gavir feels he has some kind of power to do it on his own. He doesn't. But he's he's certainly uh, advocating strenuously publicly and privately for a tougher crackdown, and that appeals to his own uh, constituency. Uh, but again, security professionals in Israel, who I trust, right, believe that some of the steps he wants to take uh, are not helpful, and in fact, uh, you know, would jeopardize uh, whatever uh, calm there is. And, and that's you know an interesting debate, but. They're at a death hold with each other because normally, you know, Bibi would say, all right, pull out of the government, we'll have new elections. Right now, if there's a new election in Israel, the left has been energized in a way it hasn't been in 40 years. The last time this left, the left was ascendant like this was after Sabrin Shatila. Let's be blunt. 
since the second intifada, the left has been marginalized because everyone suffered through the consequences of their policies, you know, in the 90s, in, the, in Oslo and everything else. And, and, and the left now has an issue. And the left has something, you know, you know that it's a popular issue in Israel, that these, this vision, you know, that they've convinced Israelis, the vision of a new kind of Supreme Court being put forth by the government has energized the left. And again, uh, they are not going to give up this issue. This is their ticket back to power. It's 100% a political agenda here. And I'm not telling you that means they're wrong, uh, but, you know, they're, they're certainly overstating, right? right. And, and, I, and, I, and I think they're allowing American mouthpieces to, to sort of like strengthen uh, their argument. They're allowing, again, I'm not certain if they're in cahoots with each other, but a number of Jewish legislators uh, have been speaking out and saying and comparing this government once again. Okay, but listen, to, let's to, be honest here. People who've devoted their lives to defending Israel, people that, you know, you would call center-right, like Abe Foxman, right? People born in the center or to the left, but who have spent their lives defending Israel, like Alan Dershowitz. Uh, journalists like Mati Friedman. Uh, opinion uh, writers like Yossi Klein-Alevi. Um, good people, people like Marty Peretz, like Leon Whistletier, right? These are people who, the most eloquent defenders of Israel in the United States, have all publicly written against what this government wants to do with the Supreme Court. And they are all, they all have access to Bibi, at least most of them do. They've all said this to him privately. Uh, American Jewish leaders who, now we can all poo-poo that, you know, to a guy like Ben Gavir, that criticism is in fact validation. That means if American secular Jews are against me, that must be I'm right. And this juvenile validation he gets from being criticized from people he doesn't like, you know, it, it, it is. It's, it's a reckless way, way to conduct yourself. These are serious people who, who should be listened to. I'm not telling you that all their criticism is legitimate. And I'm not in any way saying that the Supreme Court, the status quo is good. It's not. They, they've overreached. They do things that are highly irregular. You can contrast other Supreme Court, the way systems work in other countries. It's difficult to compare one system of government to another. But the, uh, uh, but again, serious people who have clean credentials on defending Israel over a lifetime of support have have come out against this, and uh, and and that's worth thinking about the consequences going forward. Yeah, it, but it really underscores how fragile uh, our relationships are, how much we need still this public relations uh, in the United States. Uh, again, I, I'm going to push back just a little bit and say, I don't think it's the place of American legislators uh, to raise the specter once again of either Nazi Germany on one side, or this is just oh, like, the, 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 listen, this, the is, is this is just, or this is just like Trump and what's happening here. You know, th these comparisons, it, it, there, there's so much political hay they're making. Um, that but it, again, it, it's very hard to expect American Christian senators and Congress people to, to uh, be more, uh, accepting of these uh, proposals than is the great swath of American Jewish leadership. 
Uh, granted, the question is, though, you know, this is not your area. We we have other allies who are guilty of we are al- we have other allies that are guilty of much worse than trying to, uh, you know, tweak or alter uh, the justice system. It seems like there's a lot more important things going on all over the world. But again, and- imagine yourself as a U.S. senator, the people who have been in your office most frequently screaming to defend and support Israel are now the same people criticizing these proposals, it is certainly emboldens your instinct to uh, to criticize. Yeah, look, Dick, look, Dick Durbin, uh, you know, is is like like Biden. He was a guy who's been in Washington for, you know, decades and decades. And, you know, I think generally Durbin's record has been pretty positive for Israel. I think he's yes. been mostly, uh, you know, a, a friend. Um, you know, you mentioned in passing uh, the terrible uh, killing uh, that occurred uh, the ramming of, again, of a bus stop in Ramot, again, called by the New York Times, East Jerusalem, which, again, is sickening, um, as we mentioned last time. But in, in the images of those children, um, and, and again, you know, Usher Menachem and Yaakov Yisrael Peli um, and their father, who's also in, in critical condition, you should have a foolish lema, um, it, it really is so heart-wrenching. Um, but what I was reading you know, instead of mourning so much uh, these senseless, terrible deaths was the reaction of the security forces that they were able to find this. They, the terrorist was killed, but they found his family and they uh, uh, destroyed, I think, his family's apartment and home. And there was, again, a discussion about collective punishment. They were in a compromise scenario to begin with. In other words, when you're confronting a culture, that celebrates terrorism, as the Palestinians did, right? Hamas called them, called this guy a martyr and holy and praised the attacker and praised the Neve Yaakov attacker and, and all of this. And, and where the Palestinian Authority then funds the family in per- perpetuity, right, when these things happen. So there's collective reward on, from the other side, right, and collective incentive from the other side. Uh, where they're lionized, the terrorists. And so uh, Israel has to disincentivize, you know. I mean, a, a lonely, uh, you know, 18-year-old kid, you know, imagines himself becoming a hero to his family post-mortem after he's killed some Jews. And and the question is, how to disincentivize that by, yes, punishing uh, uh, the family. I don't know if you go so far as to call that collective punishment, but punishing family. So to put a second thought in these kids' heads before they do this, that their family may be homeless afterwards. So, you know, I don't know. We're dealing in a very bizarre world where, you know, child murderers are are, are declared heroes. So I think we need more of your explanation to get into the ears of the left wing to understand that this collective punishment isn't something that's from, you know, some sort of Orwellian, uh, you know, dystopia. you're you're saying that's the only way we could fight back the only way we could fight back is to perform this collective punishment listen our experience with collective punishment goes back to shimon and levy and shem right and and yakovina was not happy with that and he remembers it on his deathbed and he castigates them again uh so uh you know i would say that there are certainly extreme versions of it uh, you know, unfortunately, we can't get novelists to get to be circumcised and vulnerable. <laughs> they already are circumcised. But, the, um, but 
collective punishment is obviously morally morally problematic, but you're dealing in a scenario where there's collective reward. So how do you fight it? He's giving meeting out punishment. I, I think we should also mention how they meted out punishment uh, to someone from the Golani Brigade uh, this right, week. So they put this poor soldier in prison for ten days after. What would you call pushing, tackling? What would, how would you describe? Well, it? I watched the video before our uh, our recording. Uh, Lawrence Wright, somebody from the New Yorker, was taking a tour. Uh, this Palestinian fellow, who I guess is is a Palestinian Israeli, right? Um, he gives tours in Hebron, right. and he takes people around. And I assume he's taken a number of Jewish groups also touring in Hebron because you know Jews love to flock to Hebron it is a very such an important place to go to and it seems like I don't know what preceded it but I guess Lawrence Wright was also touring Hebron and um a Israeli soldier came over to him uh and what I saw on the uh, on, on the cell phone video okay he definitely uh grabbed him by the neck uh pushed him down and gave him what I would say is sort of like like a, a I don't want to be kicked that way, but I can tell you that uh, what the the tackles that we saw in the Super Bowl uh, were a, a, a lot more aggressive, although they were wearing it, pads. It, it did not seem like the fellow was anywhere Rodney Kinged. The guy got up a, listen, a second later, listen, had I, his I, cell you know, phone. As you know, I'm a man of peace. I'm 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 kind. People have called me Gandhi. I mean, you know, I I reject that, but you know. I, I would say more Buddha than Gandhi, considering, <laughs> considering you know, your, your mean, right? The, the presence that you have, you're more like a, a Buddha, I think. Anyway, having said that, what happened was this Palestinian activist approaches a, you know, a military installation, a military guard post, I think it was. There's an Israeli soldier there. The Israeli soldier nicely asked him to step back. The guy refused. He claims the guy started cursing him. It was a verbal encounter which turned physical and unfortunately you know when you're an 18 year old kid carrying a gun in a chevron and the guy gets in your face yeah you push the guy that's what happens that's human nature however soldiers carrying guns have a responsibility to be superhuman they do and he wasn't superhuman he was human he pushed the guy away whatever and um and, and that was what the film was it didn't tell you the video doesn't show the confrontation the verbal confrontation uh, an ugly verbal confrontation initiated by the Palestinian activist and persisted, you know, uh, and, and then it finally le le led to that. And they put the guy in prison for 10 days. Unfortunately, you know, today everything is recorded. Everything's on video. And uh, unfortunately, it was with a journalist from a very important magazine in the U.S., The New Yorker magazine, to which I happen to be, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a subscriber of The New Yorker. I read The New Yorker uh, every week. They have wonderful cartoons. And... Um, but they are viciously anti-Israel, viciously anti-Israel. Lawrence Wright, David Remnick, these guys do not like Israel. Masha Gieson, these are not journalists that are our friends. And uh, uh, and unfortunately, that's where the encounter took place. But they put him in prison uh, for 10 days. He was punished. The left got the video they wanted. And uh, and it's uh, certainly not a it seems like uh, the the hit that C.J. Gardner-Johnson delivered on Isaiah Pacheco in the fourth quarter was a lot more violent. Of course, he was wearing pads, but that was an incredible hit, incredible takedown. And, and you can see that type of Ronnie Lott energy that uh, Gardner-Johnson has. Um, I thought in that drive that maybe the Eagles would be able to stop them and perhaps uh, you know, force overtime. Um, but 
you know, as I predicted on this program, uh, don't bet against Mahomes, Chiefs by three. I think the main thing we should take, the main takeaway, for me, the number one takeaway of the Super Bowl is don't bet against Rabbi Kivalevitz. <laughs> well, once once I uttered it, yes. You are the Jimmy the Greek of the Orthodox Jewish world. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, uh, again, it, I did not see the whole game, but would you say it, it, it qualifies as one of the best Super Bowls? I watched the whole Super Bowl like a good Jew, like a good American. Yes. I watched the whole thing from beginning to end. Yes. I had wonderful food, I have to say. I had this great chili made by a friend of mine. I had wonderful chicken wings from the local uh, kosher takeout. Excellent chicken wings. Wonderful ribs as well. So it, it, it was a wonderful Super Bowl from that perspective. Um, uh, I, I, listen, I, you know, as I said before the game, uh, <laughs> that Philadelphia is the better team, but you can't bet against Mahomes. Uh, no, and, I think that was my line. I said, oh, I, think, I will have to check the record. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, Philadelphia uh, definitely had the more, Philadelphia had more talent on their team. But look, I did not, I, when I saw the highlights or lowlights, what was going on with Jalen Hurts losing the ball? I mean, yes. Yeah, is- so, oh, no, but listen, Jalen Hurts, I got to tell you, I've never heard a losing quarterback be so praised the day after Super Bowl like Jalen Hurts. He was magnificent. He was he was threading the needle. He made some completions that were remarkable. Jalen Hurts was fantastic. Unfortunately, he had one blunder. But remember the blunder. It was a third and one. They got called for a false start. Then it was a third and six. And on that play, after the penalty, uh, he uh, he stepped back. He wasn't it wasn't a strip fumble. He just dropped the ball. He was switching the ball. He just dropped the ball, and it was a scoop score. It was, uh, you know, the, the guy scooped it up and ran right. it. To the end. If, if, if that play doesn't occur, I think the Eagles cruise to victory. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like even a, even with Superman Mahomes behind it. it. We'll never know. Uh, it could be if that last penalty wasn't called on the uh, defense. I think too much was made out of it. And especially, you know, I mentioned last week, by the way, that I would have wanted uh, uh, someone in the backfield to go along with Christian McCaffrey. I forgot about Juju. I forgot about your 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 Steelers expat. My former Steeler, yes. Yes, your former Steeler was Juju Schuster, right? Right. And yeah, so he was named he was named for his obstetrician who was named Friedman. <laughs> Called him Juju. Right. I think Juju came out something. Um, <laughs> I think Juju decided to taunt that defensive back. Yeah, there was some stupid taunting. On yes, that. I mean clearly, and 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 that defensive back who I think is an All Pro, he he admitted that yeah, he, okay. it was all. But again. Listen, it, it, the, the Super Bowl had remarkably few penalties. We've mentioned two of them, but there really weren't that many penalties in the game. It was a very you know, well-played I, game. I agree with the broadcaster who said the penalties should not be called in the, in the penultimate moments. No, no, the point, is, the, the point is it was a pass that was not catchable, uh, right? It wasn't, that, it wasn't pass interference. It was defensive holding. Right. And it was a hold, technically. But it was, uh, you know, a minor hold. You know, you want to call right. it ticky tack. I don't know. Look, they would have got. Here's let's put it on the. Uh, they would have gotten the ball back. They would have gotten the field back, and they would have gotten the Eagles would have gotten the ball back with more time to do something. By the way, 
you know, you mentioned about how magnificent Hertz played, and I didn't see the whole game, but I know he's obviously an effective runner. <laughs> Look, you know what? It helps a lot when you've got these 300 pound linemen picking you up and pushing you into the end. Yeah, that's a play that's a little strange, but, but his, his other runs were, were good. Yeah, oh, oh, but that last Hail Mary, what I could have thrown the ball far. Yeah, I read something that claimed it slipped. The ball slipped. I don't know what happened. They, people were complaining about the field and the moisture. I, I don't know what happened there. But yeah, the Hail Mary was pathetic. Commercials, which I guess we can end with. Oh, this. I didn't watch the commercials because I, I watched it. On You're TV. too busy with your ribs, of course. Your ribs and your salsa and yeah. your. Yeah, and, and the, I, I don't watch the halftime show because the cold. Saw that a lot was made of the fact that, you know, the $7 million that it costs for 30 seconds. Uh, a Christian coalition put together a, a commercial uh, about Jesus. Yes. And of course, uh, I think the main thrust was there's a problem with us uh, and, and, and we hate the other. And Jesus, you know, becomes the in bold right. that Jesus is the answer to the the hatred and the divisions that are happening within the country. Yeah, um, I mean, listen, there's no question. You know, Christianity is a great religion of peace. They've only brought joy and harmony to the world. They've always treated Jews with wonderful respect. You know, uh, Christian nonviolence is really a remarkable thing. Right. <laughs> what I find strange, though, I mean, listen, you know, is, is, is that people have criticized that group for buying the Super Bowl, uh, for buying that spot in the Super Bowl as a two-minute warning. Why not? Again, it, I, I think it was a, a positive thing. If they've got the money, let them send their message. You don't have to buy it. As Bizeida used to say, a, a Gentile who crosses himself is a lot better than the one who doesn't. Okay, now we can argue that in history, given church uh, uh, provoked anti-Semitism, but there's no question that if the Gentiles of America were more embracing of Christianity, I think the country would be in much better shape. So I have no no problem with Christians becoming firmer. Yes, and and being glitzy about it and trying to to bring as many people in, you know, the, you know whether that. As as the Rambam says at the end of Hilchos Malachim, uh, the idea of a universal savior of a world that will be turned into a better place is something that's positive. And that's part of the reason why God allowed, according to the Rambam, Christianity to, to run uh, so af- far and to spread so wide was to invest the whole greater world with that idea of Yes, and the Rambam wasn't a, was lived before that, and he knew that it was a, a, a terrible price to pay. But hopefully, we will, will we will see. And as all good rabbinic discussions like we have should end with with Mir Tashem, with the arrival of Mishiach Tzitkenu Bimheira Bimheinu Amen. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.